in reading. And, uh, but I want to read the 13th verse, and then we're going to uh, leap to the third chapter here. Uh, as I preached about Paul's concern last week, and we'll kind of highlight that a little bit. Uh, of course, it was corresponding with that context of enduring temptation. But the 13th verse says, For this reason, we also, I'm reading from the New King James today, oddly enough, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. If you believe God's word, it will work effectively in your life. Now, this will go a lot better if y'all will respond a little bit more, okay? It will. And let me say it again. I think that's a statement that bears repeating. If you believe the word of God, it will work effectively in your life. It will. And so the apostle is commending a church that he had helped to found in his missionary journey. It's recorded in the book of Acts, the 17th chapter. Paul was taken abruptly from Thessalonica because of the persecution of the Jews, as was common to his ministry in the book of Acts. And so without the means of modern communication, the apostle Paul would then uh, not know the state of their faith because he knew of the volatility and the violence that the Jews possessed to persecute the early church. Now, think about this for a moment. At that time, Jews far outnumbered Christians. Christianity was a sect that came up from within Judaism. And those that did not believe Jesus was the Messiah wanted to do everything that they could to snuff it out. The same as they wanted to hang Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the Romans that took him. The Jews handed him over to the Romans. So that conflict is exposed to us in the book of Acts. It continued in the ministry of the apostles. So Paul is gravely concerned about what's happened to these brothers and sisters at Thessalonica because he knew that they would suffer violence at the hands of the Jews. And when you suffer, oftentimes you are susceptible susceptible to temptation from an unseen force, a demonic spirit or a devil, correct? Because when we are suffering, we have a tendency to question, God, are you really with me? Why did this have to happen? How come it was my child? If God was for us, then this wouldn't have happened. And so the enemy would come in. So this passage of scripture here, Paul is gravely concerned about the state, the status of their faith. Uh, the text exposed to us later, he said, I couldn't stand it any longer. I had to send Timothy to find out. Paul was a, uh, certainly would have been, it would have caused a riot had he went himself. So Timothy goes. He, matter of fact, Paul said, I wanted to go, but Satan hindered me from coming. So Timothy, his young, uh, you know, uh, uh, apprentice in ministry goes and he sends word back. I don't know how he got word back, but he, or maybe he just brought word back that he said, then they're still believing. And, and they're still trusting God. And so that lifted Paul's, but, but it's in that fifth verse that, that, that picked up. So let's read it real quickly, third chapter now. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. You remember that now. That was kind of the context from which I began to speak last week. And I shared with you verbally, however, we didn't read the sixth verse where Paul did get that word from Timothy. Timothy has come to us from you, and he's brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. I mean, that would lift the heart of the apostolic father to find out, man, they are still trusting. They received the word of God. The tempter may have come in and tempted them, but many of them have endured. 
right? And that lifted his spirit. And so now Paul has a new desire in his heart. It's found in the 10th, to the 10th verse. He said, I've been praying night and day, night and day exceedingly that I can see your face. I want to see you face to face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, this is the passion of an apostolic father who is more concerned than just the confession of faith in Christ. He wants to see the maturation of faith. It's one thing to say, yes, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. It's another thing altogether to say, you know what, I'm growing in grace. I'm growing in godliness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm learning to die to myself and live unto God. I'm presenting myself, humbling myself before God. And so Paul has a desire to perfect what's lacking in their faith. And I'll tell you what, that's just something from my heart pastorally as I grow and mature. That's something that I desire so much that, that if any means possible as a pastor, when I see faith that is authentic but perhaps misinformed scripturally, Right, that, that I want whatever I can do, if I can say something that will help steer you in a better direction, right, so that you'll make better decisions, that you'll learn to give no place to your adversary, the devil, right? If you are fighting against yourself, taking two steps forward and one step back, you're not going as fast as you could go in the, in the kingdom of God, then I want to say something that can help mature your faith. Does that make sense? Right, I think that's, well, I'm just grateful that God puts men and women in our lives, that, that, that love us enough to correct us. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? And we're kind of the no correction generation. You know, we, we don't like anybody, but I'm telling you, thank God. You know, Jesus loved Peter enough to just reprove him when it needed to be reproved. Thank God that God's word speaks to us, right? So Paul said, I'm gonna help perfect your faith, but he did so not in an abusive way, but he did so, he first commended them for their faith. Look what his desire is, though, 13th verse. And we're going to get it. Our text is actually found in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. But it's the 13th verse. It says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Again, I said this last week, and I want to echo it again today. The apostle Paul said on more than one occasion in his epistle, using the metaphor of a bride being presented to a groom. And he said, I long to present you as a chaste virgin unto the Lord, pure and holy, to be married or to, to have consummation with him at his coming. And that should be the heart of all pastors and leaders in our church today, that we want to see you walking in holiness before God, walking in sanctification, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed. Come on, somebody. Being changed, as I said previously, from the inside out. Is that right? And isn't that what sanctification is? Isn't it being set apart from the world for the glory of God? Isn't that our calling as believers is that we are no longer our own? Come on, we are bought with a price. Come on, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, right? And so, but you have to learn. You have to learn to die to yourself because your fleshly appetite wants to dominate you. Dictate, just like before you were saved, your carnal appetite wants to cause you to feed it, so to speak, with the things that you previously used to nourish on. And I'm talking about in entertainment. I'm talking about in relationship. I'm talking about sexually. Every area of your life, the old you 
the flesh just wants to be who he's always been. But there's a new you. Come on, somebody. There's an inner man now that's got the life of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. Come on. And now greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And so now, come on, now Romans 6 says that we can yield ourselves as instruments to righteousness rather than as to instruments to sin. So this is the heart of the apostle throughout many of his epistles. And it's clear he hasn't seen the Thessalonians until uh, until he was there with them months earlier, but he just wants to go and help them grow, grow in their faith. So look at this, though. Chapter 4. I want to share this with you. Go with me for a few moments. Finally then, brethren. I mean, no, there's no condemnation what he's written so far. Right? He's not said anything sharp or harsh, has he? He's just lifted them as a father would lift a child, commending them for their faith. But because he so loves them, he wants to address some issues that are prevalent in the church. So he said, so finally, we urge you and we exhort you. Look at this, that you should abound more and more. I'll tell you what, I want you to abound more and more. I'm not talking about in, the, in your bank account. That's secondary. Yes, I want, you, I want you to abound more and more in God's grace and in holiness and in walking before him in love. And just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. I mean, you know, you have to learn how you ought to walk and how to please God. Come on, how many of your lifestyle does matter? I'm sorry, I come against the lie of the enemy in our generation that lifestyle doesn't matter to God. That's so idiotic. That's like our children. That's like us saying, well, it doesn't matter. You know, you're my child, but, but it doesn't matter. No, that's not. How I many? Hitler had a mom and dad. You know, his lifestyle wasn't pleasing to them. Matter of fact, he was a Presbyterian minister, if I remember correctly. His father was. He was a minister. So, so it does. Your lifestyle does matter. And Paul said, look, he said, I'm going to try to teach you how you ought to walk and to please God. And he said, we even gave you commandments. Now, I know that that's hard in our generation of grace. And thank God that we are the dispensation of grace. And we've exposed grace. And we're so grateful for it. We access by grace through faith. And we're thankful for it. But even in grace, God still commands us. Right? The, thing, the only difference, the only difference in this generation or dispensation in the previous, now we have the power to do what we previously didn't have the power to do. We couldn't keep the law. We couldn't walk holy before God because we were sinners without a regenerate spirit. But now we've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we can, God can trust us to do things that we previously could not do. He said, so you remember now the commandments that I gave you through the Lord. And this is the will of God. Here's the will of God for you. And I'm saying this is the will of God for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this house today. This is the will of God, and it is your sanctification. That is your being set apart for God's glory. That, as I said previously, the passage of Scripture that says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, glorify God in your body and your spirit, is actually in 1 Corinthians 6, where it is the bridge between the Apostle Paul reproving the Corinthians for their sexual immorality in chapter 5 and pointing them towards satisfying their sexual desire in marriage in chapter 7. And he uses that point in chapter 6 to remind them you're not your own. 
You belong to God. So even in this passage here, I'm pointing this way. You're looking that direction. And it says here, we need to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, the reason why, church family, that I feel as a pastor that I should address and just talk about this thing is because we are living in the, the, some of the final throes of the sexual revolution in America. When you say, Pastor, the final throws, it's because it had to have a moment. It has to have a moment where it, it has reached this destructive, you know, apex, so to speak. And, and I think we're, we're seeing some of it in our culture today. Does that make sense? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it tells us that if you sin uh, sexually, you're sinning against your own body. You're harming yourself, right? And I want to share with you out of love today that in, even in the church, Even in the church, even through the activity of our faith, we have so many in the modern, charismatic, contemporary, Pentecostal, whatever label you want to give us, movement that have not chosen to walk before God. Come on, somebody, in sanctification. And perhaps they've not been confronted with the truth. They've been confronted by a lie because the culture has lied to us that there's no payback on a free sexual experience. But there is payback, right? There is. I'm going to take you a little deeper today. Can I do that? I, there's a, there is something at work that I want to expose. See, I don't like the devil. I don't even like to talk about him in God's house. Say, Pastor, you're throwing a little... I know. I don't like to... I just want to... I, you know, he's, he's, he's worthless. He's cast down. He's defeated. But unfortunately, men and women have fallen prey to his seducing voice. And we're still ignorant of Satan's devices. And so every now and then you just have to. So Paul said, I wanted to know your faith lest the tempter came and tempted you and our labor was in vain. Or even to the far extreme, your faith would be in vain. So let's go down a little bit further. Let's read this, and then I'm going to go somewhere in just a moment. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel and sanctification honor. You've got to know how to possess. You've got to know how and know what's right and what's not right. You've got to know what you can do and what you can't do sexually. You've got to know what God favors and what he has not favored and will never favor. Right? There is a place for sexual gratification. Where is it? It's not in front of the Internet. Right? It's not on a 1-900 number. It's not on a date. Come on, it's in a covenant called marriage, right? And in that place, I'm telling you, God can bless a very special union. And it can be a holy union that unites two hearts together as one. Two become one flesh. Come on, somebody. But the world has sold us a lie. The world has sold us that we can get that gratification or that satisfaction another way. But I'm going to show you in the Word of God today, we have fallen prey to the enemy's seducing spirit. And I want to show you because you can correct this. There's still time. Well, no matter where you've been, what you've done, we sing songs about that all the time around here. God is a grateful God, a gracious God. And if you'll just come to him and say, Father, come on, have that humbling moment like you did a while ago. I'm going to tell you, God can restore. He's that gracious God. And so in this passage continues, the apostle here, he's saying, man, let's get this thing right. Is that right in here today? He said, let's get this right. you got to know how to possess your own vessel. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. Did you hear that? Like the, like the world, he's saying. They don't know God. 
Did you know that in today, using these statistics, 48% of all women will live together before marriage? 48%. Did you know now a recent Barna study found when they polled Americans, 67% found that it was okay, thought that it was okay? We become the live-in generation. Now, some of you here today, you say, Pastor, you're just, you know, in your mind, you're just, you're, you're angry at me already because you just, I don't target anybody. I never target anybody. I preach what the Holy Spirit lays on my heart out of love because I see you have authentic faith. And I want to correct that which is, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Lacking in your faith. And I want to show you where the enemies come in, got a stronghold in your mind. And though we are not Gentiles in the flesh, we're living like Gentiles. And that's not the will of God for you. I'm showing you by the word of God, it's not the will of God for you to adopt the world's lifestyle. The world's lifestyle for you is to abstain from sexual fornication until you enter into a covenant of marriage. And then it no longer becomes sexual fornication, but becomes a union that God can bless. Come on, somebody. God will favor it. But what we've got to do is we've got to make better decisions than what we've been making. Now, let me go a little bit further, and I'm going to take you somewhere just real quickly. In this passage of Scripture, let's read this. He said, God did not call us, seventh verse, God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. God called every one of us, young and old alike. Listen, and this goes beyond just the millennial generation. Did you know who's more prone to live together in our generation today? Generation Xers which that's my generation, the generation that peaks out at 50 years old and drops down to its early 30s. That's mine and JoJo and Shane's generation. They're even more prone to than the millennial generation. So we can't throw a stone at anybody in here today. Is that right? But we can speak the truth and expect whether or not you are new to the faith or you're old to the faith, but if you're genuinely born again, then you're not going to take offense at the Word of God you're not going to take offense at a pastor that loves you enough to stand on this platform and teach the truth to you to correct your life and lifestyle, not to, again, to condemn you, but to correct you. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Because out of correction, you can gain instruction. And once you get instruction, you can get direction. And once you get direction, you can have a new life in Christ Jesus, and you can be who God's called you to be. Come on, you can then shine for God's glory. You'll know how to walk and how to be pleasing to God. And he said in the eighth verse, look at this, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who's given us his Holy Spirit. So don't reject this. Don't shut me off. I know we are, again, it's so easy. We live a generation, we don't like something, we just click. Turn the channel. Don't like this church, I'll just go to the new one. Don't do that. Receive of the word of God. Last week to expose the enemy. I want to expose it. Can I do that today? I'm not going to deify him, and I'm not going to glorify him, but I'm going to expose him. Can I do that? Yeah, well, let's expose him for just a moment. I share with you about that we look to Jesus, not just to aid us, but to teach us. He was tempted and, point, tempted and tried in all points, just like we are. Yes, that means sexually. Right? He, J- Jesus had a lot of women around him, women that really wanted to serve God. But even then, women that want to serve God, you get men that want to serve God, women want to serve God, and you're getting too close of a confinement at times. Something awkward or bad can often happen. Hello? Right? David was on, the, on, the, on the, his rooftop, you know, and it wasn't a prostitute that he saw. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? It was one of his own mighty men of valor's wife that he saw. So the enemy, the enemy can set stages for us. 
in different ways and means to tempt us. And, and so in that passage, I shared with you how that Jesus, we look to Jesus not just to rescue us, but to instruct us so that we can learn how to overcome as he overcame. I believe he was tempted sexually, just like every man and woman is, yet without sin. So you can look to him. You're single. Look, sexual temptation isn't not just bound to single people. You can be married and fall into adultery. Come on, you can wait till your spouse goes to bed and you can click on the right. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So sexual temptation, it reaches, it's far-reaching. So Jesus then, after he was declared to be the son of God at his baptism, remember that? The Jordan River is flowing freely and John baptizes him and then the spirit of God descends from heaven, the Bible says, and lights upon Jesus and he's filled with the Holy Ghost and low a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness where he was tempted and tested of the devil. After 40 days of fasting, the enemy came to him with three direct or very distinct temptations, things that I taught you about in great detail last week. But it's the middle one under Luke's pen. It's the third one under Matthew's pen that I want to address today. It was in that passage of scripture that the Bible says that Satan took Jesus all the way up to the pinnacle in the temple. To the farthest, the highest point in the, temp the temple. And he brought him up as high as he could. And it was there in a lofty place. So you can be elevated and even exalted in the temple. To the place where the enemy can get a stronghold in your life. So he brought him up to that high place. And from there, listen very carefully, he began to manipulate the word of God to him. That's the quandary that the church is in today. It's because men and women that profess faith in Christ have gave heed to a seducing spirit who has manipulated the word of God. Listen to what he said. He brought him up to the highest place in the temple. And he said to him, he said, if you're really the son of God, if you're really the son of God, then cast yourself down. That's not biblical. But then the enemy said to him, for it is written that he, God, shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands, they will bear you up lest you dash your feet against the stone. So why don't you, Jesus, to validate that you're truly the Son of God, that you are, you can do this. You can do this. You know this is really not right, and it's really not natural. But you can do this to validate. Put my picture up there if I would, my free fall. right there. Why is that on the screen? Because that's the plight of many in the church. Because we believed the enemy's lie that we can do these things. We can live like the world. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting. That we can live like the world. We can make foolish decisions without consequence 
Come on. And as long as you're in the air, everything is good. As they say, it's not this first step that will kill you. It's the abrupt stop on the other end. But I have found that that's what the enemy does. The enemy gets in my mind and he begins to manipulate the word of God that says even though I'm a son or a daughter of God that I can make this decision that will lead me to this consequence potentially but God will somehow cause me to not reap what I have sown. It's a dangerous plight to be in. It's a difficult moment that we're seeing happen in the church today. With what we're seeing men and women in the American culture that no longer validates true biblical teaching. And so therefore, there's an alternative lifestyle. The alternative lifestyle is not just homosexuality, but it's sexual promiscuity. It's freedom of sexual choice. It's do whatever you need to do to gratify your sexual desires. And don't be influenced by those old traditionalists at the church. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? The enemy has come in and sown some, and so even within the church, I know how he works. I know what thoughts go through in my own mind. Listen, we're all flesh and blood in here. There's no temptation taking you but that which is common to man. So I can stand in here from a place today and say, listen, I know what it's like to be tempted sexually. Every man, woman, boy and girl in the sound of my voice knows what it's like to be tempted. We do. But what I want you to know is you don't have to give in to it. Jesus stood on that pinnacle and he looked down. And I'm telling you, the enemy has an ability to seduce your mind. The enemy has an ability to cause you to see things differently. Remember how he deceived Eve. Eve suddenly saw a tree that she used to think was evil and would cause her to sin. But when the enemy seduced her mind, she saw it pleasant to the eye and a, and a fruit that would make her wise. So that, that's what seduction is. The seduction gets in your mind and all of a sudden you think you can just free fall, free fall without consequence. But there is a consequence. There's a pain, there's a hurt, there's a cut. There's a lifestyle choice. You sin against your own body. You're setting a precedence for your family and your children and your children's children. And I don't say this to shame you. I say this to teach you. Because you came to me with sincere faith just like the apostle Paul. Notice this. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians and see if we can tie this all together. Paul had just commended. Y'all notice I got a death grip on this right here. Because you remember what Jesus said? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. This would be a very, a great sermon could suddenly end in tragedy. And so let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. Can I for just a few minutes? Y'all stay with me today. In 1 Thessalonians, look what he did. He built them up. Man, you endured. You made it through. Come on. You went the, through the trial. You went through the season. You were persecuted and you endured. And so he commended them. And he said, and by the way, since you really are believing God, let me help you right now. Let's get this right. Let's get our sexuality right. My God, let me ask you this. Don't you think this needs to be preached in every church across America? You say, Pastor, why is that so important? Because not just our young men, our young ladies, but, but every one of us, media is contrasting it 24-7. 24-7 from Facebook 
to TV, to uh, movies, to magazines, novels, books, everything is teaching us that we can free fall, that you can just go, just go for it, man. You do what you want to do. It's all right. The bottom will never come. Am I telling the truth in here today? That's the lie. And they will even manipulate, the enemy will manipulate the word of God to a degree that you believe that you can find, somehow find justification through your actions. And I'm going to tell you this real quickly. I say this to every one of you in here today. There is a place that God will bless your sexuality and the expression of your sexuality, and it's in marriage. And it can become a place where you pray about your relationship. I know you think that sounds foolish. I, I love you enough to just tell you the truth. I, I, I've learned I have to live in a glass bubble. In my own prayer time, I pray, God bless my sexual union with my wife. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, whatever sexual desires that Sherry has, let them be met in me, not in some imagination or certainly not in another man. And the same way in me, that God, that my sexual desire will not be met in my imagination, nor will my sexual desire be met in another woman, but that my sexual desire will find its gratification in my spouse, in the union that God has blessed. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And then I have a clear conscience before God. That way I can have a relationship, a sexual relationship, and not feel dirty come on somebody i can have a sexual experience with my wife and thank god for it because god met my sexual desire in my wife and her sexual desire was met in me come on somebody and i can have the very presence of god in that relationship but the world the devil has sold us the lie that you can have that same peace in the world's ways and means just free fall get all you can get do all you want to do and you'll still be justified in God's sight. That's the lie of the enemy. Let me tell you what's happening. We got a generation, even in the church, that's tempting God. Thank God that Jesus said, No, no, I'm, I'm not going there. I'm not going to tempt the Lord. That's out of the order. When things are out of order, God can't bless it. I know that if I'm aggravating some of you here today, I do so in love. I learned to aggravate my children and my family a long time ago in love and just be that consistent voice. And I don't care how many times I get, I know, I know, I know. I got it six times on the phone with one of my sons last night. I don't care. When he talks to me, I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul. By the way, I'm going to help perfect something in your faith. Come on, somebody. Thank God for people that love us enough to put a 12-foot ladder in the sanctuary, stand up on it, so I can ride it in your memory so that you won't soon forget this message. That the Holy Spirit, you say, Pastor, you just condemned me. No, I did not. I did not condemn you in this house at all. I've instructed you. The Holy Spirit brought you here. The Holy Spirit led you. It wasn't your parents that brought you here. God brought you here by His Spirit so that you could hear this word in this house today. And it will be written in your heart and your mind. And you would then go to the word and say, is that really so? Yes, it's so. It's proven by the word of God. God will bless your sexuality in the covenant of marriage. And we've got to make some changes. And that's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. You know, let me... Got to turn around and go down a ladder. All right, let's get ready to close. There is a quandary. What's a quandary? A quandary is a dilemma in the midst of a difficult situation when you don't really know what to do. We're closing. Aaron, join me on the platform. That helps people, don't it?
by telling Aaron's on the platform, so he's at least within 10 to 15 minutes to wrap it up. <laughs> Stay with me. Don't get mad at the newsboy. He's just bringing the news. That's all I'm bringing. If I've shown you anything outside the word of God, then you can reject it. Is that right? But what I've shared is the word of God. This is the will of God for your life. Sanctification, that you would learn to abstain from fornication. That's the will of God. Young and old alike, I want to say this again. It's not just the millennial generation. It's not just the 23-year-old or 26-year-old. Sometimes it's the 52-year-old, right? And we got it all down, and we slip into church, and we've adapted a lifestyle, and we'll stay at that church as long as we don't feel like anybody's judging us. And then if we feel like somebody's judging us, we're going to get mad, and we're going to slip over to another church, and then we're going to talk about the other church. Is that right, Jojo? And how it happens all the time. It does. It happens just like that. What's the quandary? Did you know what the scripture actually says? I'm not going to take you there for the sake of time. 1 Corinthians 5. I just believe in the word of God. I'm telling you, I want to be a word man. I want you to be word people. Conform your life to the word, not to the world. You'll get freedom and you'll live life with a joy when you're conforming your life to the word. Because, see, if you're conforming to the world while you profess to be a Christian, you're going to always be in contention. You're always, you'll never be at peace because you can't get the blessing of God on your life. But when you begin to conform your life to the word rather than the world, you'll get the blessing of God on your life. And you'll get up because then Paul said you'll know how you ought to walk, how to be pleasing to God. That's a sweet place to be in. It's a sweet place to be in to say, God, you know, not, not in arrogancy, not in pride. Not in some type of jealousy, but just saying, God, I want to be pleasing to you in all areas of character and conduct. 1 Corinthians 5, the apostle Paul gave stern reproof and rebuke to a very gross account of immorality. And what I mean by that, I didn't mean grotesque, but gross in the sense that it was a man who was having a sexual union with his father's wife, not his mother, but his father's wife. And so in doing... The Bible says that, that he just kind of was active in the church. He might have been working. He might have been, you know, I've almost said a youth pastor, but then I thought Jojo was like, no, don't, don't say that. But he was active at church because Paul said, he's among you and you're not grieved. So then Paul addresses, and it's a really strong passage. Have you ever read that passage? Who here has read that passage? Well, there's the problem. About a third of us have read that passage. Herein lies the problem. We don't know the word. Well, the passage, Paul gives judgment. He uses the term judgment. Again, that word that people says, well, don't judge me. Well, now, I, not to judge you hypocritically. But if I'm really broken before God and I'm seeking the Lord and I'm growing in my faith, I have a right to try to help share his word with you if I see that you're going the wrong direction. Right? That's not judging you. That's helping correct you. So you got to understand. Paul used to say, I'm going to pass judgment. So he did. That's the passage where the brother was excommunicated. He was excommunicated. Strong. He said, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. So strong judgment would come through the means of persecution from even satanic means. 
but the man might be led to repentance. And Paul then said in the ninth verse, he said, I wrote to you an epistle, a former epistle that he had written to the Corinthians that's not captured in the canon of Scripture. And he said, not to company with fornicators. And he said, but I didn't mean the fornicators of this world because you would have to go out of the world. You'd have to go out of the world to avoid sinners. Right? Come on, you say, if you work at Walmart, you're around sinners. If you work at one of the factories, you're around sinners. If you work at the school, you're around sinners and heathens. Is that right? So Paul said, I wasn't talking about the fornicators of this world. He said, but I was talking about those in the church. If a man be called a brother, here's the quandary. Here's the quandary. Listen, listen, don't, 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 don't leave me emotionally. Here's the quandary right here. He said, if a man be called a brother or covetous or an idolater or a drunkard. So it wasn't just fornication, but it was these others as well. He said, don't even eat with that one. That's a difficult thing. Now, I don't think he was talking about families, moms and dads to children, children to parents. But he said, in the church, why? Why? Because if you're not careful, you're going to justify that person in their sin. And then that person will just kind of live life thinking everything is right while they free fall. Did y'all hear what I said? Put it all together. They think everything is right while they free fall. And unfortunately, this pagan American society we live in today, if any pastor like me preaches about it, then all people do is go to the next church where they're not as sharp and penetrating on their teaching and they'll just hide out there. And then if anybody ever says it, they'll just keep going. But I want to help you today. Repentance is when you come to the acknowledging of the truth. I was in error. Stop blaming everybody else. It's not everybody else's fault for your plight. It's your fault. You made the decision. You say, Pastor, how can I correct it? Repent. You simply arrive at the place where you say, God, forgive me. I want you to know something about God. God will not turn any one of you away. God will turn to, he will receive all of us if we'll just come to him in repentance. But you can't keep playing the game. Right? You can't just keep playing the game. That's not repentance. Let me tell you about repentance as I close right now. I never felt repentance more than when I didn't go with Sherry and Alyssa to California. Because, man, when they drove out of that driveway, I'm telling you, my heart was broken and broken. And everything I did was sobbing. And every person I saw, I wanted to sob on their shoulder. I only chose one, JoJo. But my heart was broken. And I said, I can't, I, I can't, and I came to church thinking that this was right. This is the safe place. So I said, Lexi, I'm going to go in there and pray. And this wasn't a safe place. Because see, when you're, this, this is not just the, it doesn't work that way. When God's needing you to make another decision, you can't just hide in here. So I tried to pray. I couldn't pray. So I said, I can't see anybody any longer. So I left. I got my vehicle. I went home. I said, it'll be okay. Nobody will be around me. But there, my heart was so heavy. It was broken. It was broken. And finally, I picked the phone up. And I called and said, Sherry, where are y'all at? She said, we're just outside of Oklahoma City. I said, can y'all pull over? Because I'd like to join you on this journey. And the moment that I did, the peace of God that flooded my soul. And I didn't cry, I didn't cry any more tears. And the tears that I'd sobbed and wept for hours over Alyssa going to California. When I left California, 
I left without tears because I had repented. I changed my mind and I changed my direction. That's why I bring a stinking ladder in here on Sunday mornings. That's why I act like a fool at times because I'm so grieved at what I see at the church. And men and women making such stupid decisions, living like Gentiles. And the enemy comes in and he ravages our lives. And we free fall, thinking that there's no consequence. There is a consequence. And I just want you to repent. That's all I want. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not, I don't isolate anybody. I don't point at you. I just preach the truth of the Word of God. Because I want you to repent. Because the moment that you truly repent, not just lip, see, you, or, or lip, what is it? Lip service, not just lip service. Because if it's just lip service, you'll go right back and do the same thing over again. That's not repentance. Repentance is when you say, I got to change and go the other direction and make that decision. And when you do, the joy of God will flood your soul. The peace of God will flood your soul. And you'll live right before God. And from that moment forward, he'll begin to bless you. Our heads are bound, our eyes closed. I'm preaching to you today. I don't know who's here. I just preach what the Holy Spirit quickens in my heart. I share it out of love. I share it out of compassion. I share it out of a desire to correct what's lacking in your faith. I want to ask if there's any person here today. This is not a message when I ask you to raise your hand so you come to the front. Because that would be some type of isolation. That would be wrong in this context. For this message, it would be wrong. Most of the time, that's right. Repentance doesn't have to happen here at the front of the church. Repentance has to happen in your heart. Did y'all hear what I said? You can walk to the front of the church and be non-repentant. You can be prayed for by a hundred theologians and be non-repentant. Repentant. Repentance happened for me when I was sitting at my desk and I picked the phone up and I said, I got to change this direction. You can change your direction. I will give you a moment right here today. I'll give you that moment. If you'll be honest enough with me, this is your accountability. This is your, nobody looking around. Nobody, it's just me. It's just me. If you got the courage to raise your hand today and just say, Pastor, pray with me.